You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. It is good to see you guys. I've got a little grainy picture I'm looking at, but it is good to see you all. Uh, Last week, um, we looked at the words of Jesus where he said, he looked at us straight in the face and said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory uh, to your father in heaven. Now this week, he's going to turn to something that seems a little bit more abstract a little bit more disconnected from our daily lives, but it's a really, really important question. And and, and I think we could summarize what Jesus is saying in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount with this question. And I think Katrina and the kids talk did it really well, illustrated it for us really well. And the question is this, how good is good enough for God? How good is good enough for God? Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you're a Christian, you probably have kind of that rehearsed answer. Well, you know, we're not good enough for God. Jesus is good enough for God. That's why we need grace. Moving on, next question. But I think we need to sit with that question for a little bit. And when we do, it's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable, and that's okay. We need to be made uncomfortable uh, from time to time. Um, I'll just give you a brief summary of where we're going today. Um, To be with God in his kingdom. And and what that means is when we talk about when he talks about going into the king, getting into the kingdom of heaven, he's not just talking about going to some place out in outer space after you die. He's talking about going to be with him, to be in the presence of God, to be under the rule and the reign of God, to be in the family of God. How do you get there? How do you get to that place? How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? Well, there's two things that come out in this text. Number one, you have to perfectly obey every word that's written down in God's word in the Bible from cover to cover. That's the the first thing that you need to do. And the second thing that you need to do is that you need to be better or holier than the best people that you know. You need to be better or holier than the best people you know. The people that have that long jump record, you need to be even better than them. Now, I'm going to get to the good news. And the good news is that you can do those things. You can get into the kingdom of heaven because Jesus has made a way uh, for us to get there. But I want us to, before we, I don't want to jump ahead. I want us to sit there and talk about why those things are true and what it means for us. So let me read the passage. We're in Matthew 5. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Um, I'll read that and then I'll pray and then we'll get into it. All right, Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Don't think, this is Jesus speaking, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We know that we need your word. 
We need to be made wise. We need to be made holy. We need your light. And so God, help us come and understand your word well uh, this morning. Help us to hear what you have to say. May our hearts be changed and shaped in the very shape of and the image of Jesus this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't say at the beginning, just in case, I, I, I don't know what you, you guys said. Um, I'm doing pretty well here. I, I went and I'm a close contact of someone that was uh, tested positive for COVID yesterday. Um, I got a test last night. I'm negative, feel fine, don't have any symptoms. So I um, pray that I uh, stay that way. I appreciate that. Um, but I'm feeling really great. I'm just bummed that I can't be there uh, with you guys at the moment. Um, well, this morning we're talking a little bit to start out with um, about the Old Testament. What did Jesus have to say about the Old Testament? What did he think about uh, the Old Testament? Um, if you know, the Old Testament has 39 books in it, and there are, some of them are very long books, like the Psalms and Isaiah and Genesis that we've been doing. Um, it actually makes up, I read this this week, 75% of the word count in your Bible is the Old Testament. Um, what do we do with it? A lot of us sometimes find the Old Testament a bit hard to understand, and so we can th- we, we just ignore it. We're a little bit nervous about it. Some have gone so far as to say, well, actually, as Christians, we don't really need the Old Testament anymore. Jesus sort of did away with it. Um, uh, there's a U.S. megachurch pastor by the name of Andy Stanley, who I've benefited from some of his preaching and some of his books. He actually stirred up a bit of controversy recently, and he came out and said this very thing. He said, Christians need to, in his words, unhitch from the Old Testament. Because when we start preaching from the Old Testament, when we start trying to live by the Ten Commandments, um, that's where we run into all sorts of trouble, where we start becoming legalistic and and mean and nasty. And and we just need to kind of move beyond that because we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're under the New Covenant of Grace, and we need to focus on that. Um, The trouble is that when it comes to the Old Testament, Jesus did not write it off. In fact, he said, if you try to write it off, that's a really bad sign. That's a red flag. <laughs> Don't do that. Here it says in verse 17, he said, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. That's what when he says the law and the prophets, that's just another name for the Old Testament. He says, I didn't come to get rid of any of it. In fact, I'm not going to even delete one word, not even one letter or one part of one letter. It's all here to stay until I come back again. And, you know, when he says it's here to stay, he's not saying it's here to stay like that, like that stain in your carpet that you just can't get out. It's here to stay for your good. Like there's a good purpose for the Old Testament. And one of the clearest purposes of the Old Testament is it's meant to be obeyed. We're meant to do the things that are there, not in order to, for God to love us, not in order to, you know, to get saved and make this, you know, make be good enough for God. But we're meant to do the Old Testament in the sense that Jesus did the Old Testament, in the sense that he fulfilled it. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a moment. Think about this. If you go back one chapter, we're in Matthew 5. If you have a Bible and you flip back over to Matthew chapter 4, there's a story there where Jesus is uh, fasting out in the desert for 40 days. He hasn't eaten anything or drunk any water for 40 days, which is nearly impossible for a human to do. But here he comes to the end of his fast, and 
the devil or the enemy of God shows up just out of nowhere and says, Jesus, I know who you are. You created everything. You created these rocks here on the ground. And you have the power, Jesus, to take this rock and turn it into a loaf of bread. Doesn't that sound really good? I mean, you must be starving. And Jesus looks at him and says, devil, here's what it says in the Old Testament. It says that man, people, don't live on bread alone. You need bread, but you don't live on bread alone. Here's the stuff of life. Here's what you really live on. It's every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Every single word in the scriptures. That's the stuff of life. And so when Jesus is going to battle against sin and temptation, where does he go? He goes straight to the Old Testament and he does battle with the devil and he wins. We've, the Old Testament is, is for our good. But then it raises some questions. Um, you read the Old Testament, you, you know, what about all the sacrifices? We talked about that when we went through the book of Hebrews last year. What do we do with all that? I mean, none of, we're not required as Christians to go to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices for sins. We're not required to keep the Sabbath. We're not required to give tithes. So clearly, there's some parts of the Old Testament that just don't apply to us anymore. Why do we even have to read them? What, what does that have to do with us? Um, what about all the passages in the Old Testament that talk about the, giving the death penalty to people who sin? We don't do that. Um, the key to, to answering all of those questions, and there's lots like that, is right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus who's a man who had never been to Bible college. He had no authority to be a teacher of the Old Testament. That was the scribes and the Pharisees. So he's sort of taking up their rightful place. And he says to the disciples and to the crowds, he says, I'm not going to abolish. I'm not cutting stuff out of the Old Testament. I'm going to fulfill it. Every single word. So the question then is, how did Jesus, how does Jesus fulfill every word of the Old Testament. Let me give you three ways. Three ways. So bear with me. Number one, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament because as Paul says, he was born as a man under the law. He says that in Galatians 4, verse 4. He was born under the law. What does that mean? Jesus was born a Jew. He was part of the actual people of Israel. He was born to Jewish parents. You see that when he was born, if you know the story, Eight, when he was eight days old, his parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem to be circumcised and to offer a sacrifice. Why? Because that's what the law required. Jesus, his entire life, lived under the law. He kept the law. He never broke it, not even once. And we see that at the end of his life, when, they're, when he's on trial and you have all the priests and all the religious people trying to accuse him of breaking the law, and it says no one could find a charge that would stick. Because they, they, could they couldn't prove that he ever broke the law because he never did. He fulfilled the law by living under the law and keeping it perfectly. The second way he fulfilled the law is he actually then is the fulfillment of, of the law itself, of all of the prophecies, so, all of the prophecies, all of the promises, all of the kings, all of them in the Old Testament, they point to him. All of the objects in the temple, like the, the altar and the lamp and the basin, all of them point forward to the ministry and the person of Jesus. 
Every part of the Old Testament speaks his name, which is why true believers, when you read the Old Testament, you see it. The Spirit of God is in you as you read and going, man, this points to Jesus. And it absolutely does. Paul says it this way. He says, all of the promises of Scripture of the Old Testament are yes and amen in Jesus. The last way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, and this is so important for us, is that he fulfills the penalty that the law requires for sin. Here's the logic of the law. The logic of the Old Testament says if you sin, you die. It's back in the Garden of Eden. You eat the fruit, you will surely die. And what does Jesus do? Even though he himself never sinned, not even once, he became the sacrifice that the law required. And when he did that in himself, he fulfills the requirement of the law that sin must be punished by death. That's how he fulfills the Old Testament. Now hear this. Here's the good news for you and me. The reason that you can live by and obey and fulfill every word of the Old Testament is because Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. There is no other way to do everything that the Bible requires except by clinging to Jesus. This is so fundamental to the gospel. It's why it's good news. It's why Paul can preach in Romans 8. You've probably heard this verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in or those who cling to Christ Jesus. If you lived under the law and that's all you had, you would be condemned. I would be condemned. But in Jesus, clinging to Jesus, there is no condemnation, only life. Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say these words. He says in verse three, he says, for what the law, that's the Old Testament, could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. What he's saying is we didn't have the ability in our, in our flesh, in our sinful flesh to actually keep the law perfectly. The law couldn't do it. What the law couldn't do, God did. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son Sorry, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be, and here's this word again, fulfilled, finished, accomplished. I'm going to stop there for a moment. I want you to hear what the law of God that God gave to Moses says. The prophets, I want you to hear what they said and recognize that there is nothing that they can do, as in Moses and the prophets, nothing that they can do. There's no power inherent in them to force anyone to obey. There's no power inherent in them to force anyone to even want to obey. That's what the law can't do. But Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, can. God wants humans to obey his instructions. And delight in them, delight in obeying. And the law itself cannot do that, cannot make you delight in keeping the law. Why? Because our flesh is sinful. We want what we want. We've got our stuff going on. And the law comes to us and we say, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But what did Jesus do? 
What did God do? He didn't give up on people. He sends his son into the world to fulfill the requirements of the law for you. Why is that good news? He died for sinners like us, meaning the law is fulfilled in him. But let me go back to Romans 8, 4 for a minute, because there's two words. I just I kind of stopped mid-verse, mid-sentence. I want to read the rest of it for you. He says in verse 4, he says, he did this in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled. And then he adds these two words, in us. The us are Christians, like you and me, the people that he's given his Holy Spirit to. The law's requirements have fulfilled, been fulfilled, not only in him, but in us. So it's not just Jesus who comes out of the grave, comes out from under the curse of sin, victorious. It is everyone who is included in him. The law's requirements are fulfilled in us. So if you're in Christ, the law does not hang over you like an ax waiting to drop anymore if you're in Christ. But maybe that means then we can just go on ignoring the Old Testament. Just unhitch that rusty old trailer and get on with following Jesus. Well, Jesus says, no, you can't do that. He says, anybody that stops listening to the, to the law, listening to the Ten Commandments, and understanding them and seeking to obey them is in for serious trouble. I want to try and square this circle for us. Um, when you believe in that moment, you are set free from that ironclad logic of the law that says, if you sin, you die. But when Jesus dies for you, he doesn't just want you to be free of the penalty of sin, which is death. He also wants you to be free from the power of sin. He wants you to not die for your sin, but he also wants you to not sin in the first place. Does that make sense? Let me use lying as an example. Um, Maybe you have lied at least once in your life. I have, um, or maybe you have a bit of a habit of uh, kind of, you know, coloring outside the lines, twisting the truth, exaggerating the story, making it a bit more interesting uh, to impress people or for laughs. Um, You know, the law says that people who twist the truth cannot remain in the presence of God. Let me me read for you. This is from the Psalms, actually. Psalm 101, verse 7. It says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. That's God speaking. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. In other words, there's only one appropriate just punishment for lying, even a little bit, and it's death, to be banished from the presence of God forever. And then along comes Jesus, who never once told a lie, never once twisted the truth, even for a laugh. When he died, he was banished from the presence of God. He experienced what it was like to be separated from God. To paraphrase what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he became, he who never lied, became a lie, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. God does not want anybody to go to hell for lying, and he doesn't want anyone to lie, and he doesn't want anyone to even want to lie. And the gospel addresses all of those things. You have now inside of you, as a Christian, his Holy Spirit, who gives you the power to resist sin, the power to not lie, to speak the truth in love. 
He equips you to obey his command, to always tell the truth. So now you don't have to lie. You can be humble. You can be pure. You can be merciful. You can be poor in spirit. You can always speak the truth in love that others might see your good works, the change that he has worked in you and give glory to your father in heaven. It's why not a single word will ever disappear from the Bible. We need all of them for our good. We need the Old Testament. We need the New Testament to know Jesus and become more like him. God has purposely put every word, every sentence in there for our good. Every single human that has ever walked the face of the earth is responsible and obligated to obey every word that's recorded in scripture. And the gospel says that for those of us in Christ, by the work of his spirit, you can do this. You can obey. It is possible. Before Christ, outside of Christ, not possible. In Christ, all things are possible. You can obey. In fact, you can't do anything else if you are truly in Christ. Now, I want to look at verse 20. It's the last verse that we read in Matthew 5. Jesus adds just one more layer uh, to this introduction that he's giving on the theme of righteousness. Um, let me, I'll read it again. Jesus said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And if you know much about the Pharisees, um, you'll know um, that this is a really hard thing to say um, because they were the people who were famous for how good they were at obeying the law. Uh, you might know that they were adamant about keeping every single one of the 600 plus instructions of the Old Testament. In fact, they were so adamant about it that they added extra rules around the rules just so that they wouldn't accidentally break the rules. Like if they were living in COVID times today and the rule was, well, you got to maintain 1.5 meters away, they would maintain six meters away just to make sure that they didn't break the rule. And you might be thinking, um, what does Jesus mean then when he says, your righteousness actually has to be better than that? Um, it seems like he's opening the door even a little bit to this possibility that maybe, just maybe, if you have the right shoes, you can jump farther than them. You can be good enough. Is that what he's saying? Well, I don't think so. First of all, he's, he's making the point here that Getting into the kingdom of heaven is something that for even the most religious person, the best, kindest, most generous, holiest person you can imagine, even for them, it's impossible. No one's ever done it. No one has ever made themselves good enough for God. So if not them, then who can be saved? We're going to unpack this more next week, but as a little bit of a preview, let me point back to just one of the Beatitudes. If you can remember back from two weeks ago, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. To get into the kingdom of heaven, to see God, it's basically the same thing, okay? So blessed are the pure in heart for they and only they will get into the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? So what about the scribes and Pharisees? How is it that they too fall short? Could it be that the thing that they lacked wasn't this sort of outside conformity to the law 
but there was actually, they actually had a heart problem. Do you think that might be why their righteousness, why their good wasn't good enough? Well, if you come with me to Matthew chapter 23, flip over to verse 27, there's a long list of issues, things that Jesus has against the Pharisees. He calls them his, his list of woes. And here in the middle of the list, here's one of the most well-known things that Jesus says straight to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You're like pretty graves. They appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people. You seem good enough, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Did you get that? Like on the outside to the naked eye, you look very religious. You look good. You look like the kind of person that God would be pleased with. But God doesn't look in the outside. He looks at the heart. And Jesus looks, who is God, looks straight into the heart of these men and says, I'm not impressed, guys. Your heart is not pure. You don't love God with your whole heart. The only reason that you work so hard to jump and keep the law is because you want people to clap for you. You want the likes. You want the honor, the position, and the power and privilege that comes with being a holy person. But that's not good enough. Because the righteousness that God wants, the good enough that God wants, is a good that starts in the heart. A heart that wants to be with God. And that wanting to be with God is the thing that motivates us to obey. I said before that it's not just that God wants you to not sin. He doesn't want you, just want you to not lie. He also wants you to not want to lie. And again, just words on a page can't do that. That has to come from the heart, a heart that wants to be so much to be where God is, a heart that wants so much to be in relationship with him and to experience his love. That's why Jesus said, the one who loves me with the heart, from the heart, will do what? Will obey my commandments. You see it? That's how your righteousness can surpass the Pharisees. It's righteousness that starts in the heart. And here's some of the best news of all. If you're in Christ, if you believe in him, you will, by his grace, have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. God, who knew no sin, made Jesus to be sin for you, that you might become from the inside out the righteousness of God. And how does that happen? It comes because his, his spirit, when you believe, invades your reality, invades your life, and takes over, and he makes you a person who can obey and who wants to obey from the heart. He gives you a new heart. He writes, as Jeremiah says, the law, the commandments on your heart that you might keep them. Now, let's go back to this question of whether or not Christians need to keep the law. The answer is yes, we need to obey 
all of God's laws, not to be saved, but because we are saved. Not to fulfill the law, but because Jesus fulfilled the law for us. When Jesus was asked by one of the scribes, he said, what is the, what is the greatest of the commandments? Remember what he said? Remember what answer he gave? He said, number one, greatest of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and then to love others like you love yourself. All the other laws hang on or fall on those two. An obedience, a righteousness that starts from the heart, and Jesus makes that possible for you and for me. So how do we get that kind of heart? Again, if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, you've never asked him to come in and take over your life. You, you don't know how to become a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you, it's, it's simple. Um, it's, it's, it is really simple. You, the Bible says to believe in your heart that Jesus is God, that he did live that perfect righteous life that we could not that he fulfilled the law, that the penalty of the, the law, which is death, was fulfilled in him on the cross. And that if you cling to him, then you will not die, but you will have life with him. You will be adopted into his family. That's the start of a journey of the rest of your life and the eternity beyond that, a journey of learning to love Jesus from the inside out with your whole heart. If you're listening though, and you've Consider yourself a Christian, um, maybe for your whole life. Maybe there's an area of sin that you, you're struggling with, an area where you're struggling to submit and obey um, what the Bible says about a particular thing. And, you know, you're, you're struggling to overcome that sin. Can I encourage you that we're, we, as God's people, we're in this together. We all have areas of struggle and temptation that we are wrestling with. It's part of my story and my journey. It's part of yours. Um, and so we need each other, not just for accountability, not just so I can knock on your door or call you up or text you and say, hey, how many times did you lie today? Like, it's not, it's not quite like that. It's we need each other to publicly and openly and together stand in awe of Jesus to remind each other what it means that he died for us in our place, what it means that he fulfilled the law for us, what it means to cling to him. Because when we do that, when it comes to submitting to God's commands, suddenly it's, it's not heavy anymore. It's not difficult anymore. It's light. It's joy. It's, it's just part of who we are as God's people. And when we do that, who gets the glory? Do I get the glory because I'm so good at obeying? No. He gets the glory because it's his spirit's work in you and in me and in us. We don't get any of the glory. We don't, in fact, we don't need it. We will be glorified in him on that day around the throne um, because we are becoming the righteous people that we were made to be. His spirit is the only one who teaches you and me to live our best life for his glory and for our joy. Let me pray. Uh, and then Tyson's going to come up and lead us in a time of communion. Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. 
Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for, the, for, for sinners like us, that we in turn might receive and become the righteousness of God, that we might be where you are. Thank you that that's what you want. And so, God, I just ask that you would help us to want that too, that you would help us to want to be with you and in your kingdom and living out the ways of your kingdom now. So, Lord, as we come to the table today, remind us again of the price of admission, the price that you paid, that we might be once again in awe of everything that you did to fulfill the law, the law's requirements. Um, and God, help us then to go out and live the life that you have commanded and privilege us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.